Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Chat of the Wild. Uh, in this episode, we have a bonus episode. I know we are days away from Tears of the Kingdom as this comes out, but we're 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 done talking about it. We're we're not going to bring it back up until it's out because we've we've talked enough. Instead, we're going to talk Star Fox Adventures. Joining us as special guest, Kev Bayless, former Rare worker, uh, current at Platonic Games. Hello. Nearly the same game. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Brian's here. Hi. And I'm your host, Jeremy. Kev, thank you so much for taking time to chat with us. It was only a few months ago that we wrapped up on Star Fox Adventure, the last rare game on a major Nintendo console before they moved on to Microsoft. Um, for those that don't know Kev, uh, he, he, he is referred uh, often as Diddy Kong's daddy. Is that correct? <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess. I guess often. so. <laughs> He's kind of a scary thought. But yeah, <laughs> I guess that's... That birthed him. <laughs> uh, can you, do you care to describe your history as a, as a game developer? Uh, and the things that you've been involved with over the years? Uh, yeah, I joined Rare Limited in 1987, which was a long time ago, as a graphic engineer, as they called it, uh, which was the uh, term for a, a software, uh, sorry, a graphics uh, designer, an animator, and everything else that's visual. Guy who knows hexadecimal code. And and also has to decode and sprite position and basically do everything to get your graphics in. Um, and so, yeah, I worked on um, a lot of NES titles to begin with, um, Game Boy, such as uh, Battletoads and Time Lord and WWF games. And then we moved on to uh, create Donkey Kong Country and Killer Instinct, and I was really lucky to be heavily involved in those games and then um just moved onwards uh diddy kong racing on the n64 and then um as time went on i think uh, eventually i ended up on star fox adventures and perfect dark zero and i left the company in 2005 so but now i work at platonic games which is kind of a spin-off of rare if you like um it's a lot of ex-rare devs there but uh, doing the same kind of thing, but just with uh, um, less hair and more weight. <laughs> and <laughs> 20 years more experience or so. So, yeah, still doing it. And looking great. What are you talking about? Oh, thank you <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you the money later. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, before we get into that, I guess like talking about some of the modern stuff with the, the ukulele series that has sort of been the flagship platonic games series so far um now what what were you involved with in those games um i i originally well, I wasn't like actually, a stretch goal yeah it was a stretch goal <laughs> originally because um i was um kind of self-employed and doing music and, and rubbish like that for a while and then i got this uh, email yeah. from Hi, uh, this guy yeah, that whole rock thing. And then I got this email from um, Gavin and a lot of the other guys that were setting up Platonic asking if I wanted to be part of the team. And I joined as a, a Kickstarter stretch goal, a concept <laughs> artist, as I was something to reach one of the characters I was going to design. And, but we reached the goal, obviously. And so um, not long after doing my contract work with them, I asked if I could work with them full time 
um, and sort of joined the band again, so to speak. And I worked on character design and character building for a lot of the NPC characters on the first game. And then um, on the Impossible Lair, the second game in the series, it's not really a sequel, but it, it's uh, obviously still a ukulele game. Um a lot more of the uh, playable characters, a lot of the stuff on the overworld, a lot of front-end UI stuff, and also a lot more character design, so a lot more involvement in, in that. Because I was kind of putting my feet back in the water after taking almost a 10-year break from video games, so um, yeah. ukulele was quite a good one for me to uh, get myself refreshed on game development and yeah. learn how to use Unity and stuff like that. Here's all the tools i wanted you know 10 15 years ago yeah <laughs> here's all the yeah. things that made, would have made here's, my life easier yeah here's everything that you needed 20 years ago <laughs> <laughs> i had to do by hand but then how do you use it and so I, I never had any tuition i think um when i left rare um people were just starting to to use their well i think they were using their own in-house engine when I left, um, and I don't know when people started using the likes of Unity and Unreal and stuff like that, but uh, for me, it was a totally new thing. So the whole using a database and using stuff like Subversion to um, get Tortoise SVN to get all of your files synced up, that was all a new thing. I think that part of it was actually more difficult than learning how to use the software again, because the software... Uh a polygon's a polygon, you know, and the, the software hasn't really changed that much. You've got a lot more in the way of um, improvements in the UI and the methods that you can use to get your graphics in, but it's still basically the same. You've just got better tools, as you said. But this new thing for me was using an editor um, to actually put things into the game firsthand rather than going to a software engineer and saying, can you put this in? So, <laughs> which was, I kind of preferred it that way because then you could say, it's done wrong, do it again. You know, <laughs> I want a different color. <laughs> I want that red. <laughs> so. That's great. Uh, yeah. So, why don't we go ahead and start talking Star Fox here? Um, I'm very uh, interested in just hearing, Brian, what, do you have something else? I mean, I, I wanted to hear if we could. You said after Diddy Kong Racing, you guys went to Japan mm -hmm. and hung out there for a while and presumably got to hang out at Nintendo and, and see some stuff and come back with some ideas and and sort of started working on Dinosaur Planet on those ideas. Um, we didn't we didn't meet after Diddy Kong Racing to um, start discussing Dinosaur Planet, it was, um, I think we, there was, there's always a kind of a lull period after the game's released and mm -hmm. sort of anticlimax once the game's, because I mean, we, we finished Diddy Kong Racing and we were so pleased with it. And we went on this amazing trip to Japan. The whole team went, had a great time. I think, we, I think it was a Space World show that we, we attended. Mm. And then we came back and um, just slowly started looking at testing new ideas out and putting better graphics together. And I think we were actually looking at um, the um, Ocarina of Time game. It just looks so epic. We said, well, when the next step is now that we've investigated this whole 3D environment thing with Diddy Kong Racing, we wanted to have something that we initially intended in the first and Diddy Kong Racing was um, to be able to get out of your car and run around. And so we wanted to make an environment that you could sort of explore, uh, similar to the, what they were doing on Banjo. And uh, dinosaurs were really popular at the time. And then I think there was Dragonheart and films like that coming out where just everything <laughs> oh, had man. great textures on these dinosaurs. Oh, I want to build some of those. And so we decided that we were going to make a game with a character running around uh, with a little sidekick character, which was going to be a dinosaur, and he was going to be on this planet uh, called Dinosaur Planet. And um, we didn't actually go to um, meet with um, Nintendo until quite quite a lot later in development. So mm -hmm. that was so you hadn't you you had just seen Ocarina of Time at like Space World. Yeah, like I think we okay. we we'd got a version of it, and we were playing it at, at Rare and. Um, 
I'm just blown away okay. by how, how good the um I can't remember how how soon after it came out from Diddy Com Racing, but it was I remember we had a proper cartridge. Yeah, it was I mean we were on we were developing stuff for the next game, but then I think when um we got the cartridge and we looked at it and we looked at how how great the visuals were for the story side of it. We wanted to really make something that just looked as epic as that. So I think we'd already begun working on this platform idea. Um, but I think that it kind of steered us a little way to to make it a little bit more cinematic, I guess. So, yeah. Rather than, because Banjo wasn't quite as movie-like, I guess, and we were, we were, used to platform games because we'd seen obviously um mario 64 but it didn't have the same kind of feel as the zelda games so um Mm -hmm. we we wanted to do something that felt big you're in control of the camera and and more actually the camera is the enemy in mario 64 yeah yeah (laughs) right yeah Um, I, I am interested in just hearing a little bit about, I had heard story stories before in rare about the different teams where the, the conquer team was constantly looking at the banjo team of being like, (laughs) we've got, we've got to beat them. We've got to do, we've got to make a bigger game than them. We got to do a better game. But I would imagine your team wasn't necessarily worried about that because the games that you were making, especially looking at like Diddy Kong racing was just, there wasn't competition there. Right. No, I think um, we were kind of safe with ours because we knew nobody else was doing a, a, a driving game at the company. But they, <laughs> we knew there'd been uh, what was Dream, the Dream project going on for quite a while, which mm-hmm. evolved into Banjo. And they were right below us. We were working above those. We had this sort of two two floor, two-story barn, which had been converted into um development area. And there was a sort of communal kitchen at the end of the block. And occasionally you'd sort of creep down because we had this communal kitchen at the end of ours. And then there was a communal kitchen below it. And of course, we were at the top floor. So we had to go through their kitchen anyway to get to ours to start making our tea and sandwiches and things if we wanted a snack. And so occasionally you'd kind of sneak down to their kettle and nick some of their tea or their biscuits or something from their fridge. <laughs> and when you were there, you would see some post-its or stick uh, just notes on the fridge. And it might be in an A4 paper with uh, a bit of usually jokes, just people joking about this guy and that guy and cartoons drawn of each other. But there'd also be the odd little clue as to what it was that they were doing on the game. And I was quite fortunate because I was a manager or director at the time. And so I had a master key and I could go into any barn that I wanted and look at any game (laughs) until the time when I actually invited somebody in to look at Diddy Kong Racing and then got a complete telling off from Chris Stamper (laughs) saying, I'd like you not to have bought Chris Tilston over to see Diddy Kong. (laughs) <laughs> so so much for my power of the key and um but yeah we uh, we can't let the secret of Wispig out no <laughs> so um but no um so we we, we kind of got hints as to what was going on and occasionally i would i think once a week um we were doing these meetings where i would get with tim and chris and mark betteridge and um one or two other people and we'd we'd wander around the company just to do a quick assessment on how each project was going and so i did get to see things um sort of unfolding and and look at the other teams um but we were that focused on what we were doing and with with did come racing it as you say it it wasn't comparable to any of the other projects apart from maybe you may see oh their environment mapping looks really good or their water looks good. We need water like that. And so you'd look at that kind of stuff. Um, the fog may have been used to, to hide the clipping of, of graphics, or maybe they were using something called BSP planes to stop things being drawn past a certain point. If they were undulating, you could hide graphics and it was just lots of tricks that you could use to get the most out of the system. And so 
we we'd kind of share that kind of knowledge anyway because that was all for the good of the company but what we didn't want to do was make each game if we was to put everybody in the same room we'd just end up with variations of the same game that look the same and and the beauty of the way we'd got it set up was everything looked different and it was kind of like you you'd told three or four different AI engines to go and draw a picture and they all came out with different stuff back, but they were all using the same kind of technology. And we were, we were the same. We were um, looking forward to, oh, it's really good, isn't it? Look at Banjo. Look at, are they using lots of vertex shading on their um, floor? Maybe we should. And, but it, had we seen that, we would have copied that and we would have had the vertex shading on it. And we didn't really do that. We had a different approach. And so all the games... I think Conquer, Banjo, and DKR, they all look very different. And so, of course, we'd seen the other games and we'd looked at Zelda. And so we started making uh, Dinosaur Planet and we wanted to push it into this direction of uh, realism, as <laughs> or as close to it as you can get with 40 triangles for a character and a 32 yeah. by 64 texture. Right. And so... Um, we we looked at lighting and um, time of day and some of the effects which um, were just just sort of imperative, making making things just the things that feel important, all the natural phenomena, um, just to make make things just look a little bit more realistic and cinematic. And I can remember, but I, I'd not long come back from Yellowstone Park. I'd spent a week or so there camping with my wife at the time and we, we had a amazing time there and it was just such a brilliant place to look at um the environment and see what it looked like at different times of day and i think on, on the tv in the uk there were a lot of nature programs coming out which were um focusing on i think there was one about yellowstone park and they it was this new hd camera that everybody was using for the big cat diaries and things like that. And so you got this beautiful cinematography of animals at different times of day in Yellowstone and things like that. And it was only around that point we really started to appreciate how great things looked in the, in the natural world. And so just trying to get the colours of the, the day when it was dawn so that the pinks and the purples came on the snow and stuff like that. We were just messing around with the lights and making vertex shading handle all of those kind of lighting effects. And so we, we were sort of experimenting a lot with that kind of thing. And when we put, put our first few demos together, it did look quite different to Banjo because Banjo was very... Um, they they would have nice, bold characters with bright colours as we did on Diddycom Racing, but they also, as I said, used quite detailed textures on the floor and they would blend one square, one quad into the next square with vertex shading and transparency. So the textures would nicely blend over a, over the landscape from grass into um, maybe the, a forest floor with lots of leaves on and, and they'd mm. shade it very nicely. Whereas... On, so you just stretch uh, those textures a lot for the for the sixty four. Yeah, and they, and they had a and nice so editor as well. I can push the landscape up, so it was like a quilt of um, <laughs> textures, and it was it worked really well. But when we were That's making really cool. DKR, was um, sort of bolted together, and so there wasn't really much in the way of ver vertex shading uh, and. Mm -hmm an alpha textures going across um, the landscape, but then our landscapes had to be turned off in a certain way to allow the speed of it to run mm. different because it was on a racetrack. Uh, yes. Yeah, so it has to render things in pretty quickly. Yeah. A lot of different things to consider when you work on a different kind of game. But so when we got to dinosaur planet, well, we don't have to worry about that. Now there's one person <laughs> running around. We can just push more detail in. So, it is, it's wild hearing you talk about the fact that you all were borrowing development ideas from each other because at the time, well, one, I remember when we were, when I was growing up, Rare was just Rare. It's like Rare was, in my mind, was one team that put out the best <laughs> games on the Nintendo 64 and it also in, in the, like a, an eighth of the NES library. Yes, uh. <laughs> but also made the best looking games. Like it rare was just 
the best looking like game developer out there at the time we had some and, good artists there uh, at that point though as well we we're getting people that were really really keen to make their mark as well and they'd just come straight from university and they'd just finished a graphics course and using 3d graphics and they were just so excited to get mm-hmm. to grips with uh this new amazing software which cost a fortune to buy and so um i mean we we pushed obviously with um the super nintendo what you could do with the graphics on that tiny palette in comparison uh, and 2d 2d sprites and and flat backgrounds and make them look like they were 3d uh, with fully rendered stuff um and so we, we we'd all had a good play with the software and now we just wanted to translate that into this um 3d environment on an n64 which wasn't as easy because it was a, a very polygonal looking result that you got at the end of it just because it didn't have the power that you've got on today's machines but but everybody they just they really had a, a pride in it and right from blast corp to um to the later games that we produced say dinosaur planet was the last one we were doing on the n64 but it when i look at the um the forgotten rom that floated around and and you mm. see the bits on the video I, i'm amazed at how much detail we were putting in there i mean it was absolutely obviously yeah. the gamecube version looked better it was a better system but when you look at what we'd put on there i'd forgotten just how much work we put into that so i and i think i say it at some point during our our season covering this where like i i think to jeremy's point of thinking it was one team and you Rare does have like a distinctive style. Um, like we're dealing with dinosaurs, so you you kind of have a template that a design. Like you you have to make them look like dinosaurs, but the non dinosaur characters look like rare characters. The the dinosaurs themselves, you know, still have that kind of. I don't know when I when I see things, I'm like, yeah, Rare made that. That just feels like yeah their their kind of character. And I wonder how much of that comes from you know our, our us americans looking at a a, a uk sort of in, yeah. in you know inspired yeah uh design where you know putting googly eyes on everything was just the the funniest thing um and that was where you didn't get american developed or japanese developed games that did that kind of style but yeah. you did in rare it's funny because yeah. i was gonna say that that the what you just brought up that each country has its own style if you like um and and i think not just um the the products that rare produced but i think in even when you go back and look at the games that we were producing in the uk in the 80s on the the zx spectrum i think yeah it was called a timex over there and and stuff for the commodore 64 um we had a kind of our comics that we grew up reading over in the UK were a lot stupid, more stupid than. <laughs> Mar- I mean, I'm sure we people, plenty of people were into Marvel comics and DC comics and stuff, but most people grew up reading these comics called the Beano and Wizard and Chips and stuff, like, and they were just they weren't the best artwork in them, but it was funny artwork, and it was kind of like doodles that you would have drawn on the back of your exercise book at school, and I think a lot of us. We didn't need well. We couldn't make things look an anatomically correct and beautiful on <laughs> on the earlier systems, and so you just drew silly stuff. But definitely, when I compare even our two D stuff on the NES to a, a typical Japanese game, and also on a, a game in the US, I I do think that it shows you can almost pick out the country that the the game was developed in, just uh-huh. just pure to the culture and what kind of. Um, what kind of things people grew up on watching. And I think that we were obviously influenced about st- with the stuff that we read as kids as comic books and what we watched on TV. And you could see a good example. Um, I think one typically British um, style, which even today, and when I'm at Platonic, one of the guys, Ed Bryan, that I work with, we all, we, we, we've got a bit of it in our um, DNA 
is the uh, the Wallace and Gromit, the Aardman animation mm. style. Mm. It's, it's so British. And they, they <laughs> th- their strength was um, creating very uh, strong cultural references um, in, in their early work, um, very northern Yorkshire English... Um, accents and and the style of the houses everything was set in the the uk with the aardman animation stuff and so we grew up watching that kind of thing and um yeah we all wanted to do star wars and stuff like that but at the same time we, we, we kind of like making these googly eye characters and so i think there was a, a bit of that in um in the games that were created and you would try to mimic or borrow or um cater for the rest of the world by trying to simulate the style of something in japan because we loved i loved all of the street fighter 2 artwork and when i was working on ki i did the first one and i just built the characters and it had kind of a gritty look it didn't look like mortal kombat and it didn't look like street fighter 2 it looked unique and they were characters in quite a dark fighting game really and then when i did the second game I wanted to brighten it up to appeal to um, people that would have um, big fans of of the anime stuff that that looked bigger, more cartoon proportions. And I did that and I got slated for it. I can remember everybody said KI2 didn't look as good as KI1 and I thought it was prettier, but it did. It it kind of missed the mark because it didn't look as gritty as the original game. Mm, And so I think we we tried... Grittiness. Yeah, gritty, nasty, dirty, and we did. We we probably um, looked at everything else that was out there, but I don't think we could escape our own googly eyes, and so everything we did would <laughs> would look rare. And you can also got to remember that a lot of the people that worked on those teams would have then gone on to form another team. So it was the same influence, the same people that had just progressed and moved on to another team with just with there were more of you and um and we had to make sure that the people that knew what they were doing were doing this job and the people that knew what they were doing with the backgrounds were doing that job. And so yeah, I guess the style continued throughout the series and, and when you moved on to another game, um you had a similar looking um style because it was obviously created by the team that created whatever the other game was. So mm-hmm. But it was it was um, quite stylized the stuff that we produced. Yeah. Uh, why don't we go ahead and take a quick break? When we get back, we'll talk more Star Fox. Mm-hmm. Or some Star Fox. Some Star. <laughs> When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We are back. We're here with Kev Bayless talking about his time with Rare and uh, specifically Star Fox Adventures because that's what we just finished here. Um, I do. I just. I just want to ask real quick though. So you did the voice of Prince Tricky. Um, <laughs> Where could, is Prince Tricky? Is Prince Tricky with us now? He, he may be here, Fox, but uh, <laughs> he's got a, a little bit of a sore throat this morning, so he can stay yeah. in his box for a little while. <laughs> I couldn't help but do the James James Lipton. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you you talked about how you wanted a a character to go along with you. We I I do have to point out we have we we it felt like it was about fifty fifty split on. Whether or not we found Tricky annoying. Uh, now, I do I do think part of it has to do with we would have a cutscene where we would be told where we're going next, and then it comes back in, and the first thing Where Tricky are we goes going? Is, exactly. <laughs> I'm, Thank you. There's something near. <laughs> I, I just started playing again, because I, I started playing it around about Christmas time on Twitch, and... Um, I was stuck for a game to play the other week and said, oh, I still haven't completed it, so I need to 
pick it up again and play it a little bit more. So I played it last week and I might even play it tonight again, actually, because I can't be bothered to draw tonight. It's a bank holiday weekend, so I should probably <laughs> play a game instead. And yeah. <laughs> um, it's weird because I cannot, I could not remember how much um, dialogue was in that game. Was, there was there was a lot, and I'm sitting there with these headphones on, and I can hear "There's something here" in the background. I'm like, "That's that's me doing a stupid voice twenty odd years ago," <laughs> and it just catches me out because it's in in the. He- I've got headphones on when I'm playing it, so it's really bizarre. It's. It's sort of panning through. Yeah, when he's like trapped in jail and just yelling at you, save me. Yeah. Save me, me. (laughs) (laughs) And I just, I mean, I was just, I just read out what I was told to read. So, um, and we just embellished a little bit and uh, changed the the dialogue a little, but um, so I never completed it. So I'm looking forward to actually completing it. Um, it, it is fun and, and it all does work too. I can see there's um there's a lot of attention um to detail in in trying to convey some sort of emotion as well. I, I remember I I played something the other day and I got across a series of moving platforms that were above some lava and Tricky was over on the other side of the, the and he left him and the camera sort of looked at him yes. like this and I went, Oh my god, he's don't leave him. Two minutes later, he was rescued. But it was just um, <laughs> just all of that, that stuff. But yeah, annoying. I would, it annoys the hell out of me. But as a character, um, as a little sidekick character, it works quite well, I think. But yeah. um, having that it's voice right. gives it a bit of life, I, doesn't it? I think, I think I'm, I'm like, I like him and I don't like him. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes he's all right. Sometimes, you know, I'm like, I'll oh, leave him alone. There, let's throw the ball. Come on, Tricky, go long. Yeah. I'm hungry. All of that. It's just, you can't shut him up, though. You can either play, you, you should be able to turn the dialogue off. You can't. Stay here. Just, yeah. <laughs> you should just make him stay here. I'll call but you when I need I'm you. I'm going to get Estelle, who did Crystal's voice, and um, Steve Malpass, who did Fox's voice. Mm-hmm. And I'll get them both in on a stream, and we'll see if we can sort of... <laughs> reenact the um the dialogue <laughs> as we go along that'd be great that that would be fantastic yeah there there's a lot of good dialogue in there but then maybe not necessarily like great writing to go along with it because i'd commented before that it did feel like a what we we would call saturday morning cartoon yeah sort of feel where you know you just have your your hero is meeting a character or, or introduced introduced to some new thing and has to beat the bad guy in 20 minutes right like that's the whole story and so you had a lot of that then there's also (laughs) just some characters there was one in particular that i i it just cracked me up so much on the voice it was the it was like the raptors i can't remember the the name of that species the, in the sharp claws yeah is it the sharp claw the well no, the, the ones in the, the, the light the light yes foot. yeah because you go one of them you you come up to and you have to find them and they just go like you gotta save my babies <laughs> it's just this, oh that's the egg lady the that, egg lady is, yes is it the egg lady you gotta save my babies and uh, my can, baby um <laughs> what happened to my babies my baby it's the <laughs> Yeah, well, the thing is, it was the first time that we'd had the opportunity to do... I mean, because we were doing it on Dinosaur Planet, and we wrote editors to get more and more animation. And I remember I moved off Dinosaur Planet um, to move on to Perfect Dark and help those guys out for a little while. And it was just at a point where I can remember the last thing I was doing on Dinosaur Planet. There was a section of the game where Crystal was on a she was on a boat floating on through a tunnel or something. And I can remember she, I got the camera and I moved the camera along with her face. And we got this, it was real fun to make because you did feel like you were making a movie, even mm-hmm. though it was only a polygonal doll that you were controlling with a flat yeah, texture. But it worked. Mm-hmm. And, and um, I just moved stuff around and I was kind of, annoyed to get off the game because i wanted to see it through but then next thing i know it's been moved to gamecube mm-hmm. uh, because i went on to pd and then i came back and um then we were talking about getting i think well this was before we actually showed it in japan 
Uh, and so and was was that trans was that transition while you were away from? No, it was. I just remember okay. I went on to Perfect Dark, and then I came back. It was still Dinosaur Planet, and I came back, and we'd not long moved into our new um, development barns, our new even bigger barns. Ooh, uh, better barns. It was, it was bigger, better barns, but it was. <laughs> It was uh, guys, great, this new building we got. <laughs> and, um, yeah, we went to, um, a, a, it would have been E3 show, and we, we'd we taken a version o- over there to show. And uh, I didn't. it didn't get shown to anybody. We just um, asked to, to have a meeting before showing it mm-hmm. because um, Nintendo had, had also seen it and because Nintendo owned part of the company they wanted to discuss some possibilities with, with marrying Star Fox universe mm-hmm. with uh, the dinosaur planet because they were, were very, very similar, really. A, a dog character, a bipedal dog that goes through space and fights bad guys and all the, <laughs> they've so already got was, it. It was so. no, it was no but, longer timber at this point. No, this was when it was um, a saber, saber wolf mm-hmm. or wolf. And, um, yeah, we came back and then well, they'd said, yeah, we'd like to do this. And um, I was just concerned that we wouldn't get everything done that needed to be done. I thought, oh, this is yeah. like a rewrite. And, of course, that was on um, N64 still. Um, and I don't know what happened. I just remember um, I was asked to go over to uh, to Japan and talk about it and iron out what we could do with the story to make it all work. And then I think I yeah. came back, and I, pos- I think I did actually jump straight back onto PD for a while, um, <laughs> just like as a palate cleanser, <laughs> just like stuff a- to do. <laughs> so, uh, um, but then I didn't, I didn't fire. see it through till completion because I can remember I was on Perfect Dark, and um, they were also looking at Perfect Dark Zero then, and looking at getting that underway. And then I can remember I had to. That was where I, I started building Joanna Dark. They had no promotional material for um, the, the the game, and so I had to create a model and render and get everything. And of course, I thought it was just going to be one picture, the box art, and then it just went on and on and on. And before you know it, this <laughs> this was when I was in another block, and I kept going over to see the guys in um, the Dinosaur Planet team, and next thing you know this gamecube was um what they were all sort of porting it over towards and and revamping mm. everything and uh yeah i mean it looked amazing but it was the it, it does coming back to what i drifted away from trying to explain was the the fact that we we hadn't got that opportunity before to really tell stories and ha- have a dialogue. But of course we'd suddenly got it on the GameCube. And so we could record so much more than we could have done on the N64. Um, and so it was a, a bit of a, a bit of an experiment for us. And, and a lot of people at the company were quite happy to come forward and do silly voices. Usually people that were on the team, Mm-hmm. Or people that had had a go before on things like Diddy Kong Racing, but uh, it was um, it was usually the same people putting on different silly voices. And and if we got new people yeah. at, at the company, then you might have somebody lucky enough to say, "Oh, I'll have a go." So we started getting different voices rather than people trying to do different accents all the time. Yeah, but I haven't well, actually we- got to the Lightfoot Tribe yet. I I went into their zone the other week so i'm really not that far through it but i, I remember building the lightfoot characters because mm. one of them's got these big feathers or something like they're like a tribe aren't they in there or kind the leader does yeah. i think but yeah. i haven't heard their voices yet so i they've got a uh a, a, a real big beefcake one that stands next to them so. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um i we uh, not too long ago rewatched like the the I think it was E3 where they announced the GameCube and Awada went on for a while talking about the ways that the it's designed to cut out bottlenecks um, to like streamline the way that it, it grabs and renders things and I didn't know if like a lot of times with you know first party or first or second party uh developers 
they get like the most out of a machine or at least the most they can at that time, you know, as the machine, as it gets older, but I don't know, Star, Star Fox Adventures as a lot of times you'll see a game that gets ported over and you're like, that still looks like kind of for better or worse, what it looked like, you know, just, but better on the new system, but it's still like that old game. No, Star Fox Adventures looks amazing. I don't know how you, you made a game look this good in 2002 on the system that is probably one of the best looking GameCube games on like of, of the whole thing. So we were, we were kind of outgrowing the N64 with what we wanted to do Mm -hmm. anyway. And it had its limitations and, when I looked at, as I said, the the ROMs that had been videoed and were on YouTube, and I looked at the amount of detail that was still present in that, I can see that we were just getting to the point where you can't put any more in it. It's not going to cope with the frame rate, and it's. But it, it was coping surprisingly well, and I think it was just a relief to suddenly get that and all of the things, rather than port it. Um, it was just, well, well, now we can do this fur properly and now we can have grass growing on the floor. Every, all the things that we wanted originally that the N64 didn't have. Uh, and so, yeah, it wasn't so much a port as um, it, the essence of the game, the, the the bones of it were there, but I think there was a, lot, a bit of a step back in recreating the graphics for it. Um, okay. So, yeah, I, I, and a lot of stuff had to have been be done from scratch again anyway because we'd suddenly got the the different universe to um sort of plant in there and all of the characters for the Star Fox universe um needed to be built Robbie the robot and all of the other characters I can remember coming back onto the game and then starting building all of the characters and suddenly finding that I'd got proper environment maps and bump maps that I could put on the characters. Well, this is great now. We can really... <laughs> and, and twice the poly count or whatever. So, so yeah, it was... Um, More storage. It's a shame it's the only game that we actually produced on the system because, mm-hmm. like you but say, when, when you're first working on a system, you're just sort of finding out what it can do and then your code gets improved and your techniques get improved when you do your next game and the hardware's still the same, but you know, you just learn how to get the most out of it. Whereas that was the only game we produced on it. Who knows what we could have done if we'd have done a Star Fox Adventures 2 on that and what it would have looked like. It would have been were, pretty, were pretty cool. you Were you working on the, I believe it was just the Donkey Kong racing? There was a original like we, there was just sort of like a tech demo or like a, a concept video that was done for the GameCube. yeah of, I, I remember seeing Donkey that Kong on the rare game. replay videos um i can remember I, I can remember another game being worked on but say so this was at that point where it, it, towards my end of my career at rare um i was Apart from working on Perfect Art Zero, I, I really don't like coming out of development and um, doing the managerial side of things because that wasn't why I got into And I know you're supposed to progress throughout your career and then pass on the baton to somebody else, but but um, you you don't get the, the best out of me if I'm doing that kind of thing because I just worry about things and I just want to draw things, make things move and, and make the game. So um, towards the end of my time there, there was a lot more time being spent on looking at all these different projects that were on the go. Tiny teams, large teams, you know, we'd got Grab by the Ghoulies going on. We'd got a Conquer game. We'd got a a huge, we'd got all these games. I could could write them all down. I could remember what they were, but the, the names of them, a lot of things that were never seen. Which makes me wonder what other ROMs are going to appear one day. And I'll look oh, yeah. and go, oh my God, I remember doing the NURBS model for that, which was then converted into... And um, there, was, there was a lot of it. And and now I've lost my train of thought. Um, Donkey Kong racing for game Yeah, two. there was a game. There was a racing game. I know there was a racing game. Um, and there was a Sable, Saberman racing oh. game too. But oh, um, okay. but I think we'd seen that one on on a video. But there was, 
there was it was the writing on on the backs of characters. I can remember just seeing something a long time ago, and it was all a bit of a grey area because we saw so many. And um, like I say, some of the teams were just two people just working on a conversion onto a different system, perhaps trying to turn something into a three D fighter or whatever it was, rather than mm-hmm. sprite based. And but I can remember there was a lot of stuff happening, um, but. It's quite sort of blurry that area because there was there was so many we were looking at uh, sure, each week. Yeah. I had uh, a question about the so there are these like they feel like off and on ramps throughout Star Fox Adventures to get into another area. You go like left and and go through an obstacle to 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 progress and and we had theorized that that was just a way for the game to know what to start loading in. Um, Cause I was like, do I need to know something about like British roadway infrastructure to, <laughs> to, to kind of like, cause sometimes I get lost in them. I get confused about which way was the, the right way to go and, and which way is the on-ramp and, and where's I'm the I'm not exit. sure. Yeah. That's something, a Lee Schooneman question, really. Uh, the yeah. designers, Lee, Lee, Sean and Steve Brand, were heavily involved in the design and the making of the mm-hmm. maps. And so um, I I just drew the characters. So <laughs> the background, so I, I couldn't really answer the questions Chased on that. But, it, but it's possible that it was uh, to do with loading. It could have been. Yeah. Give it plenty well, of time to bring something guess. in, yeah. I don't, know, I don't know if you'll have much insight on this, but I do have to ask, for the the ending of Star Fox Adventure, we do have like a final battle with General Scales, and then he literally just falls over, and then Andros appears, and it just feels like you didn't get to actually finish that story that you wanted, and the whole Nintendo, it's got to be Star Fox, sort of took over. Do you have anything? Are you allowed to say anything about that? <laughs> well, no. Um, I say I, I kind of, after I'd been to Japan and discussed with um, Imamura and um, Shigeru Miyamoto, there was myself, those guys, um, Lee Shinneman and Phil Tossel, and a translator. And we just sat for the week to just get them. So why is this happening? And, and, and drew some pictures and scribbles, which I've got here. And... Um, just actually define the plot and say, right, that's the reason that Andros is involved. And But I can't remember any any kind of reason or any um, need to remove any of the characters that were originally earmarked as the bad guys. So I, I, I guess, I mean, Andros was the big, big bad guy at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. So I, we had to sort of move aside to let the the boss that everybody was familiar with be the the main villain. But <laughs> oh, he's here. I I do say, or I do want to say that the the design of the Krizoa, um at the end when like I say, like, oh, you hid the like ape monkey face so well. In that, like, the Krizoa spirit design, they had this, like, fan over their head. But, mm-hmm. like, when he spun around, it was like, oh, it was a monkey face. It was a monkey face this whole time. God damn it. But <laughs> I'm not sure what it was. I think it was a, that was a clever addition to a design change after. I don't. I think mm-hmm. it was originally was just a Krizoa. I don't think the idea was there originally to have that monkey face really? on it. So, yeah. I think this was all adaption, um, you know, okay. just just changing things. We had a good a good artist on there, Johnny Christensen. Um, he redesigned my because when I, I came off for a while to take care of whatever what the projects like the, the the Joanna Dark stuff, I know Johnny um, then had to call up my original Dinosaur Planet version of Crystal, and so now she would she, they made it like a lot more tribal and a lot more athletic looking because she had to also fit in more with the way Fox looked and. Um, so, cause I, I think originally she was a lot cuter and a little bit more along the lines and proportion of, um, the characters in, um, Ocarina of Time. They were more mm-hmm. Zelda proportion. Um, 
whereas then it suddenly it did sort of look a little bit more grown up and so the characters had a bit of a harder edge when when it became Star Fox Adventures but Johnny was a it still is a very good artist um he was originally on Diddy Kong Race and he did if you remember the big yellow dinosaurs that went across the screen on the first I remember that was Johnny's first graphic that he did when he came <laughs> to the company and this big dinosaur just plodded along made of really <laughs> basic triangles but um no he was he was good at doing character artwork and so he took took care of all of that and i'm guessing he and lee um worked out a way of showing the krizoa and the monkey combination thing but a lot of work went into it but but i think it was easy because we'd already got a lot of groundwork already established you know and so we said well we can change this to that we hadn't really got a we hadn't got to reinvent the wheel we'd already got a lot of um great graphics to work with and we all loved Star Fox and we loved the idea of what what it was going to become and so um, it, I think quite a lot of enthusiasm in getting things to work right yeah I like, I like your 1950s uh, you know greaser interpretation of the team you got like a jukebox <laughs> in there and they're all just kind of like working on Rob and, and kicking back and hanging <laughs> out waiting for a big floating head to show up <laughs> We'd also got a lot of new animators, and we just had that new um, building. It was amazing. It's, it's still an amazing looking building now. But I can just remember we were working on a summer evening, and the sun was going. Down. You could see the sun going down over these fields, sort of setting. And we'd all got our brand new iPods or whatever because it was the time of the MP3. <laughs> whenever, and so we're all listening to this chill out music and drawing graphics and there late at night but it was a brand new smelling new building and you know, I don't want to go home to my rented accommodation or whatever or <laughs> I want to stay at this new building where I've got my own office and I can hear my music and go make a cup of tea and carry Running on water. It, it, it was brilliant, it was a great environment and so um, we'd also got all these new um, we've got new concept artists and we we're expanding so we've got new animators too and they were really keen I mean, for me, I would have just animated things and just moved joints around and just, yeah, it looks like a jump. I'd spend my time getting the animations to look right. But then we'd had these animators in from animation college and they were running up and down the corridor with a mirror and stuff, looking at how their expressions would go. They're really taking it seriously because they wanted to get the best out of the animation, which when you were doing the model and put in the, into the game and having to animate it and everything else, you could only spend so much time. You couldn't be quite so flamboyant with everything. And so when you got somebody who was specialised on animation, they really put everything into it. And so it was a bit of a turning point for us because we got more specialised roles, but the quality, the standard of everything improved a lot because you could see that people really loved their particular field that they worked in inside this huge field in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> Really did that. <laughs> uh, I do also wonder, uh, going back to that, the the video that came out of the original Dinosaur Planet, the beginning of it still has that very Star Fox on-rail shooting part. Do you know if that was just a coincidence or maybe that, and that was like part of the influence of why they were like, yeah, it, this it was our, a Star Fox um, the, you mean with the fight against um, Scales' ship? Yes. Yeah. It's. I mean, it. It was funny because yeah, you'd got basically the the R wing sort of control there and everything right exactly. from the beginning. And but no, it's completely coincidental because that was all the initial general scales, right? Galleon fight sequence, and it was just our way of giving you a tutorial to introduce you to the game. And it was it worked really well because it 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 did it it threw you straight in. It yeah. made you feel good because it was quite simple, mm-hmm. and uh, it just straight away you got a really impressive introduction to a game. And oh. if you plugged that on your N sixty four, you'd have been pretty impressed with it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, need the expansion pack for that though. I'm sure. Yeah, <laughs> two. <laughs> Two? Oh, there was a second <laughs> one. Oh, scoop. You probably need two or three. <laughs> no. I, it was, um, yeah, it was just a, a lot of graphics right at the initial point of 
turning it on. And, and we hadn't really got anything in the way of front end done yet. We just got a title page, I think, and some of Dave Wise's music, which mm. which just, again, was on another level. It was fantastic sounding That's really good. Tune. It's, so. it's, it's almost like it's very reserved and you don't realize that it's permeated like every part of your head and you're like, oh, crap. Mm. I know all, all this music <laughs> just stuck in there now. I'm laying in my bed just hearing. The and music as I said, I, I hadn't heard it for for many years. And then we did a, a an interview with somebody about it um, a year or so ago, and, and we brought up that section. And the music came on. And I think, wow, I hadn't heard it because when you're working on a game and you're working on it for a long time, obviously you hear that music to death, and it kind of becomes. Uh, <laughs> yeah it looked great sounded great but when you need to just turn the volume down because you're concentrating on something it sort of becomes just a noise eventually and i knew it was a good tune um but when i heard it yeah it just transported me straight back to the the time that we were developing oh, why wow, this was a great tune why wasn't this used you know in something <laughs> it had a, a good atmosphere absolutely yeah, yeah, really good. That also killer sax solo at the very end. Mm. Oh. <laughs> Dave and his sax. Yeah, I, I guess, I guess, I just have one question. You may not have much to say about it. Of just how did the transition from Nintendo to Microsoft feel for you? Uh, well. Because I know you only one minute you, you it was didn't all Nintendo, work. and yeah. next minute it was all Microsoft. That's sort of what That's happened. It. Really, <laughs> okay. it was it was just we spoke the same language as our owners. We'd we'd worked with them for so long, and then there was all these meetings about um, who 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 do we go with if Nintendo didn't want to buy the company, which they didn't want to do, and the Stampers took. And we all took, we all voted on the the most secure option for the con- company because we we're there was a lot of staff there, and we just invested in this great new building, <laughs> and um, <laughs> it was just uh, f- for me it was just business as usual. I think, but I, I left pretty soon after that because I I I, I was all video gamed out. And uh, just issues at home. I was actually getting divorced as well. So because I'd spent that much time doing video games since I was 16, I, I think also I just needed to, to to have a change and just have a quick stab at something else for a while, take a break. Um, so yeah. uh, all, all I remember was I continued working on... Um, it was the Perfect Dark game, and that was quite a long project for me. And that was, it, making games wasn't any different. You know, you were still creating the graphics for the game that you were working on as far as I was concerned. So it just felt a little bit more corporate, maybe. There was a little bit more Microsoft presence. We got more HR in and people like that. But um, but say I left in 2005, so um, there wasn't really, f- from my point of view, much of a change. So. All right, all right. Yeah, Apart see, that, that's what I is coming thought. from different people. The different, yeah. it was just suddenly got different people you were dealing with us. Right. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap up here. Kev, thank you so much for taking time to talk to us yeah. about Thanks, about thanks for including me again. It's, it's, it's always good fun. No, it's, it's always a privilege for us to be able to meet some people that were involved with, with games that were very influential to us. Um, so thank you. Thank you so much for, for hanging out with us and we would cool. absolutely love to, to chat with you again in the future. Yeah. We'll do it again. It's, it's good. Um, I think when, when there's more than one of us too, cause you, you, you'll spark, um, memories off with the other mm-hmm. person that you're talking with and say, Oh, that's right. Cause you did this. So it's, uh, I always look forward to it, but it's, it's surprising how many holes you've got until somebody else reminds you that yeah, we did that because of this. And so, yeah, I'd love to talk to Stephen Brand, among other things, just for the voice of the yeah. merchant, but also <laughs> to, you know, talk we'll about We'll see if we can get a few, few of the team together and, and talk about it, if we can. Get out! Yeah. Get out of my shop! <laughs> <laughs> I stole that from you, now pay for it. 
You pay this much. <laughs> Uh, Kev, you have been doing streaming, right? Yeah. So uh, where could the listeners go to watch you do that? I'm over on Twitch. It's just Kev underscore Bayless. um, And I stream twice a week at the moment. I'm either streaming art, sort of tutorials, drawing or 3D stuff or badly playing video games and having a laugh with that and making lots of stupid voices with my new silly voice effect pedal which i bought <laughs> that sounds like a blast it's quite good fun all and right the community is really good too I, i'm I, that's another thing i must say is just since doing uh streaming it the people on on the chat are just so much fun and they're just so lovely so mm. i kind of look forward to it so i'll be doing that again tonight um uh, looking forward to catching up. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, listeners. We will see you next time. Bye. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Fox, it's Chad of the Wild.